Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the Gospel of Luke. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and I want to encourage you to go to the 16th chapter. Now, if you're a guest and anybody new joining us online, we're in a new series that we've been in for a few weeks called The Real McCoy. And what we're talking about is what would it really look like if in every area of our lives, seven areas, that we would get really healthy in the way God prescribes it from the Word of God? What if we actually began to look like Jesus in seven areas of our lives, and we were really the real McCoy of what it means to be a Christian. I'm not talking about being a church person. I'm not talking about being a religious person. I'm talking about being the real McCoy, being just like Jesus. How cool would that be? And so we talked about some key areas of getting healthy in our spiritual life. We talked our physical, emotional, mental, and relational life. And now I want to talk about our financial life. What would it look like to be the real McCoy and be healthy financially? Boy, it's quiet right now. But I want you to listen to this. Jesus talked more about money than he did of heaven or hell. I don't know if you knew that or not. Jesus talked more about money, about finance, about investments more than he did of heaven and hell. And I can tell you why. Listen very carefully. Because how we view money will have a lot to do of where we will spend either in heaven or hell. I know that's a strong indictment, but I don't want you to miss it. The reason Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell because your view of money will determine if you're going to be in heaven or hell. And again, it's unbelievably quiet. So I, I, I thought maybe we could have a word of prayer that will allow some of you to get up and leave. And so no one will know that you were here. But before you do, I want to help you because this is important that you get this. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, and let me just stop there again. Because I know that some of you in this room are still a little bit not sure about whether the Word of God, the Bible, is God's authority or not. Can it be truth that we can trust? And I want to say this again. I'm okay if right now you're struggling with that. I'm not going to try to argue you into it. I'm not going to try to manipulate or twist it. I'm just glad you're here. I'm okay if you're struggling with that right now. But I have to let you know that I am called of God to pastor God's church, and I settled the issue because I've tried it the other way, because if there is no authority outside of Christ, we're in serious trouble, at least my life was. And so I came to a point that regardless of the way the world is, regardless I've been hurt by other human beings, I settled that God's word can be trusted from cover to cover. So I can only speak to you from that advantage point. All I'm asking you to do is just keep being open. Keep seeking. My goal is not to try to convince you. 
I think God's a big boy. He can do that himself. But I want you to look what the Bible says because I want to say it again. There's a reason why Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell because I am convinced that how we look at money and how we view money will determine whether we're going to be in heaven or hell. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Jesus judges the attitude of the heart. Regardless of the fact that I think a lot of Christians judge other people by their actions, praise God our God doesn't. God doesn't judge me for my sinful actions because my actions come from a sinful heart. God judges my heart, which is really important because you can act like a Christian and Jesus would say, I don't even know you because I know your heart. Because he says that. A bunch of God's people said, did we not do miracles in your name? Do all this good. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. I remind you of this. And too often as Christians, we praise people for the work that they've done. And sometimes I wonder if that work was even done in Jesus' name. Everything God does is he judges the heart. You can hide it from everybody else, but you can never hide it from God. He judges the heart. But I want you to look at another verse, and I put it up on the screen for you. It's out of 1 Timothy 6. Look what it says. The love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Now watch this. Some, these are God's people, eager for it, those who want to strive to obtain it, have wandered from the faith. They have walked away from what it means to be the real McCoy. And that's why we need to talk about what it means to be financially healthy. Half of the parables that Jesus told were about money. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses is about money. It's obviously a big deal. Therefore, we need to talk about what it means to be financially healthy. Because listen very carefully. If we don't learn to manage our money, our money will manage us. And the fact is, there are many people in the church today, it already does. And it already has. We need to talk about this. But I've got good news before you all freak out, okay, and run to the door. This is not a message about giving. Someone say, praise the Lord. Come on. Come on. We're not going to talk about giving. Someone say, praise the Lord. Come on. Let me hear it. We ready for this? We're not going to talk about tithing. Someone say, about time, preacher. You know what I mean? We're not going to talk about giving. We're not going to talk about tithing. Because I know when it comes to giving in most churches, most people stop at nothing. <laughs> okay. But we're not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about giving. I'm not going to talk about tithing. This message is how to think like God thinks when it comes to your finances. See, I think being healthy isn't something that you do. That's a product of who you are. The Bible says we're not to be conformed in the likeness of the world. And when it comes to too many churches, too many churches are just like the world. If you've never been to our uh, life journey 
going around the bases and coming to what we call our first base, which is our membership class and what it means that celebrates all about. One of the things that we're real big on in this church is we don't vote on very many things. Do you know why? Because every time a church votes, you're encouraging the people to take sides. And God's church is united, never divided. See, I saw that when we started going through Dream On and we started talking about buying a property. It was amazing to me that some people were more interested in making sure they got their vote heard than they were about what is God really doing. We don't want to vote. That's why I'm thrilled to death we're not doing it. Because I care more about unity because that's what the Bible cares about than some piece of property. But the same is true when it comes to finances. The church is not a business, people. It's the bride of Christ. The church is not a business, people. It's the body of Christ. It's not a business, people. It's the building of Christ. And the building of others becoming like Christ. And so what if we could think like God thinks when it comes to money? What if we could actually understand the way He looks at it? Because the Bible says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and that his thoughts are not our thoughts. Therefore, we need to learn to think as he thinks. Would you agree with that? Wouldn't you love to know the mind of God? Wouldn't that be awesome? He knows my mind, and let me tell you, he's not interested in my thoughts, <laughs> okay? Except he wants to purify them. He wants to make them righteous. So church, I want to look at Luke 16, and we're going to talk about how does God think? How does God understand? How does God look when it comes to finance? Luke 16, beginning in the first verse, look what it says. Now, Jesus told his disciples, he's talking to who? His disciples, don't miss that. He's talking about those who are choosing to be followers of Christ. He says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. He's about to get fired. The manager says to himself, what shall I do now? My master has taken away my job and I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. Don't miss this, people. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he said. The manager asked, was that Quaker State? Or no, he didn't. Okay, <laughs> I'm just making sure you're listening. <laughs> he says, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe a thousand bushels of wheat? He replied, he said, take your bill and make it 800. The master commend, commended the dishonest manager. I want to help you understand that God's not saying it's okay to be dishonest. He's not saying that at all. And you'll understand that in a moment. But the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now watch this, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. That's a strong indictment of the church. I tell you, 
use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into your eternal dwelling. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? He's talking about kingdom stuff. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you the property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus and said, he says to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What human beings say is valuable, God says, you got to be kidding me. You have no idea. How does God think about money? If you got your notes, here's what I want to do. I want to first of all tell you two things we must never do with money. Two things we must never, never, I call it a Winston Churchill understanding. Never, 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 never do with your money. Here's the first one. Don't love it. We're going to pull the story apart in a minute, but I want to just say two things that we better get. But the Bible says it very clearly. Do not love money. Several years ago, the ship Shanunga, going from Liverpool to New York, collided with a Swedish vessel. 206 people were on board. Immediately, boats were put out, saving only 34 of the 206. 172 people, including Captain Moberg, were lost. One of the rescuers commenting on the catastrophe said that no statement could exaggerate the awful events. All the survivors were picked up from the surface of the water. But all of those who perished had grabbed their money belts of gold and silver and tied them around their waists. We can't lose sight of what really matters in life. We can't lose sight. We're all very familiar with the story of the Titanic. It's been said how many lives were lost and every one of those lives lost everything they really owned, except for Major Puchins. He left $300,000 in cash, consider when it went down, along with their jewelry and all of their securities in a box in his cabin. And here's what he said. The money seemed a mockery at the time, so I just picked up three oranges instead. It's an incredible understanding of what matters. Money can buy you a bed, but it cannot buy you sleep. It can buy you some books, but it can't replace your brain. It can buy you a house, but it will never build you a home. It can buy you some laughter, but it will never give you real joy. It can buy you a crucifix, but you'll never be able to purchase your Savior. How I spend my money, do not miss this. And on what I spend my money, 
says everything to God what matters most in your life. Jesus said in himself, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. Someone once said, if you ever want to know what's most important to you, just let someone else look at your checkbook. And it will spell it out really clearly. I want you to write this down. The heart of the problem when it comes to our money, the heart of the problem is really a problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is really a problem of the heart. That's why Solomon said this, whoever loves money will never have enough. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied. Because I know for me, the more I have, the more I want. It's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? That's why Jesus said, guard yourself against all kinds of greed because your life is not measured by how much you have. You might think it is. You might think others think it is. But God says, no, your self-worth should never be connected to your net worth. By the way, let me just add, I think it's where the problem stems because we no longer see things in our lives as a blessing. At least that's what I look at as a whole in the world. Very few people look at their lives and go, wow, I'm blessed. Most people seem to have this attitude that I have a right, I deserve it, and I'm entitled to it. And the young generation... I talk to a lot of business people and they say it's really hard to find people who want to work anymore. And I see a lot of heads nodding. I want to start my life where my parents left off. And I got to tell you, you see, I'm always fearful to tell you stories about what God does in my life, but some of you look at my life and you think somehow I'm, I'm this incredibly rich, overpaid pastor. You have no idea. When Kay and I first got married, we were poor. Not poor, we couldn't afford the R. <laughs> Michael Jr. said that once, I thought it was funny. <laughs> He said, we were so poor, a family from Haiti was sponsoring us. I mean, he, just, he said, we were poor. But Kay and I, you have no idea how little my wife and I had. But I will tell you, when I look back at my life, I never saw ourselves of having nothing. I saw ourselves of having everything. We were so blessed. And I will tell you, attitude determines everything. I remember my wife and I, my wife and I, we had an old van, and that van, we loved that van. Unfortunately, nothing worked about the van, and the brakes were going out to the point that every time that we went to a stop sign, you could hear it squeal metal on metal. And the reason why is that we just knew we had to drive it until it just kind of quit locked up because we couldn't afford it. We had nothing in savings. We had absolutely nothing. We had no health insurance. Our first child was born without it. And when we moved to Ogallala, Nebraska, we were thrilled that they just simply gave us health insurance. We thought we were so rich. And we were also thrilled when we got to pay off the mortgage on our daughter and we finally owned her. <laughs> it was awesome. Because <laughs> when you don't have insurance, you make a lot of payments. But I remember when we are 
breaks, that was it. Guy in her church says, you got to get those fixed. And I said, we can't. We don't have no money. He said, I've got a friend. He owns a mechanic place, and he'll take a look at him, and trust me, he'll work with you. He'll find out where you're at. And I was like, wow, maybe that's a blessing. I took it in, and he said it was about $300. This was in 1991. And I said, well, I know you know so-and-so in the church, and he said that you would work with us. And he said, oh, absolutely. Just pay half today, and then in two weeks you can pay the rest off. And I took the estimate, and I said, I, I'm just going to have to think about it. And I drove from there to my house. And Kay asked how it went, and I showed her the bill, and we just started crying. But we didn't sit there and weep about ourselves because we felt so blessed. And we prayed. We literally held hands in our living room and said, God, you're going to do something. We just trust you. Thank you for everything we have. We're so blessed. Kay went on to work. I drove to the church. Two guys were standing in my office. One of them handed me a $200 check. Another handed me $100 and said, we understand you're hurting. And my life has been a series of that people. God doesn't give because you need. God gives to those who understand they're blessed. Attitude's everything. I don't love money. It's just money. Loving money has never made me happy. And the more I have means more insurance. It means more problems, more stuff can break. And I've decided that physical things are not worth fixing and spending so much on when people are. Just telling you. Having is nothing wrong. Loving it is. We're not to love money. But here's the second thing. Don't live for it either. Don't love it and don't live for it. You know, I heard about a couple who was having severe financial differences and they were arguing about the money. Finally, the husband exploded. He said, if it weren't for my money, this house wouldn't be here at all. To which his wife said, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be either. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we live in a materialistic world, do we not? Oh my goodness. We live in a materialistic world. And as Madonna said, and I'm a materialistic girl. I'm not, I'm not. But anyway, anyway, you, okay. But we live for stuff more than we should. But I'm going to tell you something. You need to listen to very carefully. This is why you should never live for money. Because everybody in this room is one purchase, one heartbeat away from losing everything you got. Let me just say it again. Everybody in this room is one moment, one purchase, one heartbeat from losing everything you got. I read about a very wealthy man who died, and someone asked his lawyer, how much did he leave behind? And I love what his lawyer said, absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. So can I give you a rule of thumb? You might want to write this down. Let me give you a rule of thumb. Don't want to miss. Never live for something you can lose. Never live for something you can lose. Watch this. If you live for health, like I just got to be healthy. I just got to be healthy. Can I tell you something? You're going to lose it. You know why? Everybody dies. If you live for that and invest in that over to the point that that's what it's all about, everybody dies. As far as I know, the death rate is still hovering at 100%. It's yet to come down, people. I just need to let you know that. If you live for appearance, some people do. It's all about appearance. It will fade. Can I help you? It's called gravity. (laughs) Everybody's chess 
will eventually be in their drawers, okay? I'm just telling you. It's called gravity. If you live for work, you can lose a job. You ready for this? If you live for marriage, even marriages can be gone. Don't ever live for money. Proverbs 23, 5 says your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. And praise God for the U.S. government. They put an eagle on every dollar just to remind us. (laughs) Don't live for something you can lose. Live for something that you cannot. And just make that someone Jesus. Solomon wrote, if you trust in your money, you will fall. But if you trust in God, you will flourish like a green tree. Don't don't love money. Don't live for it. Love Jesus and live for him. So how does Jesus think about money? I want to look at her story. How does Jesus, how does God think about money? Again, this is not a message on how to give. It's not a message on tithing. It's a message on how does God think? Just what are his thoughts when it comes to money? So I want you to write the first one in. Here it is. This is what God knows when it comes to money. Everything belongs to him. I know some of you are struggling with it, but I want to help you with it. But everything belongs to him. The heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the plants, the rocks. It all belongs to God. Even yoga pants. Give them back. (laughs) Pastor Reed says three things in life that never lie. Children, drunk people, and yoga pants. So just, all right? (laughs) But listen to this. Some of you are sitting here right now going, no, no, it's mine. It's mine. It's all mine. I worked hard for it, and thus I will do what I want with it. I'm not here to argue that. I just find that interesting. I find that such an interesting thought. Everything is yours. And yet what's dishonest about that is when you were born, you had nothing. So how can everything be yours when you were born and had nothing? And then what's even crazier, you would say, but I worked so hard for it. But everybody dies. So you're born with nothing and you're taking nothing with you. Yet everything is yours. I just find it interesting. If it's yours and you work so hard for it, when you die, why don't you take it with you? And you say, because I can't. And that's my point. And yet you'll live for that and knowing absolutely with 100% factual truth, I can't take it with me. I just find it strange that people think that way. But our story helps us with something I don't want you to miss because Jesus is telling this story. Luke 16, verse 1, look what he says. The owner enlisted a manager to take care of his property. Why would Jesus say this? Why would Jesus make sure it's listed there in the beginning of the story? And do you know why? Because all we'll ever be is managers. None of you in this room is an owner of anything. The illusion is, and the lie of the devil is, you think you are. And that's why people hold on to stuff like this as much as they can. But one day that grip's going to let go because the heart's going to beat last and the hand's going to go, floop, and someone else is going to go, thank you very much. (laughs) 
and you held on to something that will be taken away, which means everybody passes on and what you're going to pass on is something that can be taken away. You see, Jesus wanted us to get the story. There was this owner who enlisted managers. And unfortunately, most of those managers were dishonest. They didn't get it. They missed it. And for a moment on earth, he entrusts us with what is his. And the Bible says he sits back and watches to see how we manage it because everything belongs to him and everything will be returned to him because one day this earth will be completely gone. He plans on destroying it, then rebuilding his heaven on earth. Nothing stays here. We're just managers. It's the first thing I want you to get. This is what God knows. Here's the second thing God knows about money. Money is a test. Money is a test. See, I guarantee you that Warren Buffett isn't going to pass on his wealth to a careless, out-of-control, self-centered little child. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. But how much greater is that with God? How I look at money, how I use money, how I spend my money shows God what he can really trust me with. Look at our story again, verses 10 and 11. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? Listen to this very carefully. God doesn't give his blessings to just anyone. He tests us to see if we're worthy of it. Because if our hearts aren't right, we don't even understand it's a blessing all life is is preparation for the next folks planet earth is nothing more than the get ready stage the warm-up for the real race that begins god is testing us here to see what he can trust with us there we just read if we are faithful in the little things then he will allow us to be entrusted with the bigger eternal things money is a test and how I handle everything that God has given me will determine how much God is going to bless me. Here's the second or the third thing that God says it belongs to him. It's just a test. But when it comes to money, God knows this. It's just a tool. It's just a tool. That's all money is. Money is neither good nor bad. It's neither right or wrong. It's just money. It can build great churches. It can finance a drug addiction. It just depends where you direct it. That's all money is. Someone once said, money's like fire. It's neither good nor evil. Its character is determined by the eye of the perceiver and by the hand of the user. That's all it is. You might want to write this down. Money is temporal. We've already said it. It can be gone like this, but it has eternal power. Do you know that? When it's directed rightly. Jesus said, don't store up your treasures on earth. Instead, store your treasures in heaven. When you understand the power of it, I know some of you might be thinking, how in the world do I do this? I'm going to say something that's going to blow your mind. I know many of you are going to go, ah. But I want to show you because it's true. You can't save time. Would everybody agree with that? You can't save time. But you can buy it. 
See, listen carefully. We can always get more money. You can't get more time. Time is the most important thing we have. It's not money. Time is your life. It's not your money. But we can't save time, but we can buy time. Someone else's time. When you understand the fourth thing that God knows about money, use it to get people into heaven. And you're going to give them all the time they need forever. You see, time is running out on people. But we have an incredible opportunity to give them all the time they need in glory. That's why I love this church and its vision. That's why we're going to plant churches and plant churches. We have 10 church plants right now, and we're planting three more this year. We have six more that will happen within the next two years. And we're almost at number 20 at that point of a 10-year vision of planting 50 churches. And if it keeps snowing, I'm going to be number 20. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. How many want to go to Florida? See what I'm saying? Okay. But listen to this. I love that we're planting churches because local communities need local churches with a local pastor. And then those 10 churches... You ready for this? Those 10 churches in 2018 alone, 562 people came to Christ. See, I love that. You can't save by time, but you bought eternal time by investing in those churches. 562 people. I didn't know. You didn't know. But God knew. And 10 people said, I'll I'll plant. And you just heard about an 82-year-old lady. Time was running out. And now, she has all the time she ever needs. That's just awesome, isn't it? That's why we adopt children. I love the fact that we have a vision of, in 10 years, 50 children And we're way past that already at 28. We're just a few years into this. And every time a family adopts in this church, we give them a $5,000 head start to get rolling on that adoption. Because every child deserves a forever family. That's what I love about this church. And I'm just going to be honest. That's why in the Visionist Church, we're never going to build orphanages because God don't have orphans. He has children that deserve a home. They deserve a home. And we have homes right here. And I want to encourage you to consider it. Consider adoption and give a child a forever family. Folks, I just shared with you last week, we stood up on a stage and I forgot to do it on Saturday night, so I'm going to tell you something that we did last week. Dr. Joanne Lyon was here. We partner with World Hope. We're so excited about the work that's going on in Liberia. And it's just in the beginning stages. And we had a piece of property in this church that someone gave us. And our elders said, why don't we tithe on that property? So we are selling the property. And we wrote her a check and gave her $100,000 to drill 10 wells in Liberia that will literally save 15, 20,000 children. I love that fact. This just, listen, this is awesome. This just happened. This just happened last week. Well, this just happened last week. 
And I want to show you, because Joanne reached out right away to the people in Liberia. I want you to watch this. Uh, I just want to let you know that we got some good news from headquarters. This amount. How much is that? Oh, 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 oh. Celebrate Church in South Dakota. Thank you for your contribution of $100,000 to the people of Liberia. This will help our brothers and sisters out there in a village or in the rural communities and other places where safe drinking water is very, very scarce. Our people drink from creeks, from rivers that are unsafe. They get sick because of this. But with your contribution of $100,000, many Liberians would be safe. They will have access to safe drinking water. And this will prevent them from going to hospital. The money they use to go to hospital to treat themselves because of waterborne diseases will not be used to either send their children to school or to put food on their table. Thank you very much for your contribution. Thank God for celebrating church. I'm grateful to God for the Celebrate Church. Thank God for the Celebrate Church. Thank God for Celebrate Church. I thank God for the Celebrate Church. Thank God for Celebrate Church. I thank God for the Celebrate Church. Yeah. <laughs> I want to invite the team to come. This is why we're in the process of trying to figure out, since we're staying here, how do we do a few other little things to this church? So the kids of Terry Redland, the kids of Terry Redland can come over here and after school, we'll bust them in, that we can pour into them. We're working on so many multiple things. Why? Because they matter. I love the vision of this church. I absolutely love it. If you didn't know this, in the last year, when we did our Dream On, we began to talk about they needing mentors. And already over 50 Celebrate people have stepped up and said, I'll mentor. I will mentor. And it just fires me up. Folks, listen very carefully. Older congregation, listen. I was blessed, so blessed in growing up in the church that I grew up in. I've been so blessed to be a part of the church and been in ministry in some form as a youth pastor, as an associate worship. And now as a senior pastor for literally over about 36 years now. And I'm so blessed. But I gotta tell you, I don't wanna keep thinking about what was. I wanna invest in what can be. I wanna give them that opportunity that I had. And this younger generation is worth it. Folks, the best use of your money is to invest it in ministry. 
Look at the story in verse 9. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into your eternal dwelling. Jesus isn't saying you buy your salvation. Jesus isn't suggesting that you buy your friends. What he's saying is invest in relationships. Invest in relationships with others that go well beyond, well beyond anything of planet Earth. It's worth it. Write this down. Use your affluence for godly influence. Use your affluence for godly influence. I want to show a clip from a movie we're all very familiar with, and I alluded to it earlier, called Titanic. I, I, I don't know how to help you understand this clip except show it and then explain it because when I saw it and then over and over I saw it again, it made no sense to me. And now I get it. I get the clip. I understand the end of the movie for the first time. So I'm going to let it roll and then we're going to come back and we're going to close with it and I'll help you understand as well. Watch this.
Maybe I'm slow and maybe you figured out even the first time you saw it. But I love movies and I was trying to think, where was Cameron going with this? That somehow that he couldn't figure out how to end it so he'd kind of bring all the cast together and they'd have just kind of a little gathering and a little applause. Then all of a sudden it hit me and then further reading and studying is that people boarded the Titanic thinking they were moving to bigger dreams and to a better life. But don't love money and don't live for it because icebergs happen and in a moment you can lose it all. But there's a moment in the water if you remember when they're holding each other's hands and he says to Rose a sense of a goodbye and he says, live, Rose. Don't look back, live. And here now she's this elderly lady holding the most expensive diamond and throws it back into the water to the grave and says, this is not what it's about. And on her bed, you get to see pictures of all the things that she did and stepped out and lived the movie we get to go to the grave one last time where all those who perished are applauding that she did what they wished they could have done and then we get this foreshadow of going up that just maybe we need to learn a lesson in a moment to think like God thinks. That everything belongs to Him and stuff happens in life in a moment of time and it can all change. Don't live for something that you can lose. But every moment is an opportunity to experience life, to understand all money is is a test. And it's the great of tools that God tests us and He puts it in our care. We're just managers. But our great investment is when we understand we use it to get other people to life everlasting. The greatest investment you'll ever make. It isn't Wall Street, it's God Streets. It isn't your retirement, it's someone else's forever and their salvation. Church, what an opportunity we have to think like God thinks. See, that's why I say it again. We all pass on. The question is, what are we going to pass on? Can I suggest something? Don't leave the results of your labor to the next generation as in a will. Leave them the example of your labor by doing His will and show them how and what really matters. Someone once stated, money talks. It actually does. And here's what I think it would say. You hold me in your hand and you call me yours. Yet may I not as well call you mine. See how easily I can rule you. To gain me, you would all but die. Yet I do not hold the power of life. <laughs> I am invaluable as rain, essential as water. And without me, men and institutions would die. 
yet I am futile without the stamp of your desire. I go nowhere unless you send me. I keep strange company. For me, men mock love and scoring character, yet I am appointed to the service of saints to give education to the growing minds and food to the starving bodies of the poor. My power is terrific. Handle me carefully and wisely, lest you become my servant rather than I yours. The incredible gift that God gave us. And the most amazing investment we can make when we understand how God thinks. It's all His. It's just a test and a tool. But directed wisely, it can give other people eternal life. And I would say that's the greatest investment of all, is it not? We're going to open up the altar, but I want to pray first. The team's going to sing. Church, it's just another moment of surrender, the opportunity that we have just to step out and say, God, thank you first of all, just to be able to say that. And maybe some of you need to pray that right now. God, thank you for what I've got. God, forgive me that I focus on what I don't. God, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. God, thank you. See, church, if we could learn to start there, it changes everything. The Bible says we're to be thankful always. Continuously to have gratitude come out of our lips. God, we are so blessed, so blessed. And yet so much opportunity awaits when we learn to think like you think. God, I can't speak for anyone in this room, only to myself. I don't want to live for stuff. I don't want to live for something that can be taken away. I want to live for only you. It's the only thing that matters. God, help me to pry my hand off those things that I try to hold tightly. Thank you for your grace as you help me to understand how you look specifically at my finances, at my money. God, thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone says...